It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly get-together for IOs, HR, and all of those who love the IO world. I'm Tom Bracho. With me is Dr. Jeremy Lukaba. We've got some people also here in the room scattered among us. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, just raise your hand, and we'll invite you onto stage, unmute your mic, and you can share your opinion with us. Uh, Dr. Jeremy. Uh, you've got an interesting topic for us today. Uh, we're going to look at how to identify hidden talent in your workforce. Uh, really interesting to me because I always felt like I was one of those hidden talent people <laughs> in a workforce. Uh, working in post-secondary, I was hired as an acting and voice coach for the film and theater programs. They fairly you know, it took about a year, but they finally sort of realized after I did my first PD day presentation that there were a lot of instructors and lecturers who could really use the help of someone with some performance and voice skill training. But we also had the president of the institution who every single month would do a video for the entire institution. You know, faculty, staff, students would always be sent this video. And I gave up after about the third attempt of contacting him going, I could really help you. So not only do we sometimes not spot that talent in an organization, but sometimes even when it is spotted, it's not middle management who's resistant to gaining access to this knowledge. It's the C-suite. So first of all, you know, where did you come up with this topic for today? What's your experience? I've noticed so many times, especially when you look at, I mean, take any group, any, um, you know, like any training group or, or program that you have, and let's say you get any 30 people in a room, you've got probably about 200 years of, of work experience, overall work experience. You probably have 100 years of uh, experience working in that particular company. So there's so much experience and so much talent and people, it, it, it's based off of, People are hired uh, for a job and they have so much talent that they bring with them. And oftentimes the talent that they're hired for to, to match the job role and the job description, a lot of that isn't even recognized and used because there are so many, and rightfully so, there's so many, there's so many processes, so many ways of set ways of doing things. But all of this passion and this talent really gets hidden, hidden behind. And there's very there's so many little things, and this this is goes back to management leadership and that that culture of the organization. 
to start to identify what can be done. Um, just a, a quick a quick example. Um, I, w- I was working with someone a couple of years ago. It was a uh, construction company, and it was a, it was a local company, and they were having security issues. But they didn't want to hire anyone. It was a pretty large company, but they didn't want to hire anyone for security, like you know, to, to actually run security. So I went and I just I did a, a LinkedIn. Pro, uh, pro search on the different employees in the company. And a lot of these are, um, you know, there's only, you know, it, it's a construction company. So you can imagine the levels that there are and then how, how it's spread out. And I found someone who, who was an ex-military police and, um, you know, used to set up perimeters in Afghanistan and, and all this, this kind of stuff. And it was right on their LinkedIn profile. These are the kinds of conversations that are so easy for a manager to start to have. And that's an easy thing. And not only would it get that person involved and engaged, not not only might it provide a solution to say to this employee, hey, <laughs> you've done this kind of thing before, but it could also add to engagement for the entire company um, and at, at least you know, in an immediate sense for that department. Because that, and, and when you do this on a larger scale, start to train and, and get this culture of, we're gonna realize and understand and learn what's the background of our of our employee set and what are their talents and whether you do it because you want to bring out and get more more of your money's worth get more of all right i'm paying them a salary let me let me get all i can for for the salary i'm paying them all of their talents whether you do it for that reason or for the reason of pure we need to engage our workforce that that example right there is something that we should uh, we should think about more often. And you're muted. Let me unmute my mic. Uh, and thank you very much, Brittany. Yes, Hannah, you can get the recordings on the Work, work Cookie podcast. Um, so great notion, Jeremy. But I can see myself as a CEO going. I've got 200 employees. Do you mean I got a and and like we our business is working fine? Are are you telling me I've got to actually start to not only speak with them but maybe do some sort of assessment on hidden talents because maybe the business will work better i was going to try to stay away from this we didn't we weren't in cahoots before this but i create i know oh commercial i created a program for this and it's it's literally five to 15 minute quick hits you know per month per week uh, you know for each manager to do it takes each manager i'll, I'll end up i i hadn't planned on doing this I'm going to pull up some of the um, responses and some of the testimonials from this of what can actually happen. It's actually the words written, not by me. And um, but it really only takes asking, you know, having your managers really just once a week ask a question to an to an employee. They just pick whoever they want. Hey, what talents do you have that weren't used today? How empowered have you felt today? Uh, to bring your to bring your best self to, to the workforce. It's really just an opening starter conversation. And these conversations, you know, from my experience, because I ended up, I collected tons of data on this, they, they lasted generally about 18 minutes. They were meant to last five, but they were that good that they lasted 18 minutes on average. And the, the results that come out of it, and it's just, it's a very simple process and a very simple program. Uh, so it doesn't take, and I'm always so concerned about, you know, Companies not having to take, you know, quote unquote, employee time off the floor because they have to be able to work and managers always putting out fires and the, um, you know, the hectic environments that, that, that we work in. I'm a big fan of 
what can we do that's quick uh, and impactful at the same time? And, and if I start having a conversation with one employee, it's I'm going to assume it's going to be a positive conversation and it's going to uh, produce a positive attitude in them. And then isn't it true that if I talk to one employee, other employees are going to start to go, hey, the boss is actually starting to talk to people. And so it's it's going to be like a virus. It's actually going to spread that goodwill throughout the rest of the organization. Quite contagious. And the for 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 the next three to four hours and even a couple of days, you're going to get so much out of that employee. You want to talk about a boost in, in productivity. So, yeah, you may have spent 18 minutes talking to them, but you also just save 45 minutes of gossip and chatter on, on their end. You also, you know, now they're working twice as fast. They're thinking of other things they can do. That, that is a great, you know, that's a good 18 minutes spent. And there's some leaders, some managers who are going to go, this is easy. All I have to do is talk to people. But there's some people who have a real problem just engaging in conversation, especially when there's a power structure difference. So, if, you know, there are CEOs, there are managers who it's painful to have those type of conversations. So what do they need to propel them forward to involve themselves in these conversations? I'll say this quick and then we'll go over to Linda Ann because I'll pull up something um, as, as a reference. What do they need? It's uh, the same thing. You know, how do we stop procrastination? It's what's the smallest thing that you can do towards a bigger action that you want? So, you know, you know, the olden days of uh, rotary phones and, and cold calling, you don't need to, you don't, your, your goal isn't, I need to call, you know, 50 prospects. It's, I need to pick up the phone receiver. That's all you concentrate on. So really it's in terms of having these conversations and even managing up, it's really just, okay, what's one single, what's one simple question that, that I can ask? And then we'll deal, um, you know, we'll go over to, to Linda Ann and Tom, you, you'll, I, mean, I know you're going to ask me about, okay, well, isn't this going to be uncomfortable, which I, we love the answer to that. So I'll answer that too. But Linda Ann, it looks like you've got something to say. Yeah, I think this is um, a really important conversation because, you know, employees now, they're going through three and four and five, maybe more career changes, right? So the fact that they're doing X job may have very little to do what they did two or three jobs ago. And so they, it really is an issue of hidden talent, you know, because, you know, I have five different career paths in my background. And um, so it gives you a broad perspective, but I think that, that this is a, a new issue for a lot of managers because, you know, they haven't really thought about the fact that, you know, somebody's changed careers three or four times. So I think that's really important. The other thing, too, is and I don't know anything about your uh, program, uh, Jeremy, but depending on the size of the company, if they have a human resource management system, some of those human resource management systems are designed to do skills inventories so that if, as an onboarding process or whatever, you can um, have them indicate where their skills are, you know, what they have so that if you're doing some kind of succession planning or looking to fill a position, you can search on it and see who's got the background and, and see if they're interested in that kind of a, a process, you know. And LinkedIn also has something called Recruiter Light. So if you're doing recruiting, 
you can do searches on your company and use bo Boolean code and just say, okay, I'm looking for these skills. And, you know, it can come up and it's not that expensive per month for, for doing that. So those are a couple of resources to use. But the other thing that we also did is every time we did a performance review, one of the employee, um, the questions for them to do, fill out for their self-review included, you know, what are um, some skills you have that we don't know about? So that was part of the performance review uh, process to remind managers, you know, I've got this in my pocket um, and, you know, whether I'm willing or not to do that again, you know, sometimes you find a skill and they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, those are a, a couple of different options, but I, I think that it's really important that managers become aware of this because again, you know, employees are, are changing careers several times anymore. Thanks for that uh, very much, Linda Ann, because I was going to ask you, what role does the employee play in this? Like, if you feel like I did, that I have hidden talents that you're not accessing, um, I have a role that I can come forward, especially in those year-end, you know, evaluations, to step forward and go, I see an opportunity for myself in the organization. That the, That's the direction we want to go? Yeah, I mean, you know... <laughs> management of an employee or an employee's success is not a passive thing, right? So the employee has to put something forward. It's not, you don't do success to an employee. So um, yeah, they have to put something forward in the communication process, uh, you know, but you also, as a manager, want to know in the career path, have those career pathing discussions, like what have you got to bring to the table that'll help you get where you want to go? Right. Um, DP asks a question, Quick question, is having the conversation enough to get that productivity boost or do managers need to also follow up with empowering the employee to do the work they're strong in? So is it is it just the conversation? And I'll throw that to both you and, and Jeremy and Brittany, if you wanna jump in here as well. Is just having the conversation enough or do we need to go a step further with empowering them to take almost possession of their career inside the organization. I'll say to that, uh, the conversation, it's a better start than where than most people get to. So I would I would say, you know, at minimal, at least have the conversation. And yes, that will help and you'll get a productivity boost because what you're going to what the, the per, what the person's going to do is you're going to end up that conversation is going to spark. And like you said, be so contagious and spark so many other things. I'll, I'll read here in, in just a second the results of literally one conversation with, with no follow-up. I'll, I'll read some of those uh, things that happen. Um, but yes, it, it does not need to have uh, a follow-up because a conversation could could show, you know, maybe you're a restaurant, maybe you're a restaurant manager and one of, one of the servers is going to school to be an, a nurse, right? And um, maybe one of these conversations led to that. And then maybe one, maybe one night at the restaurant, uh, a very elderly couple comes in, and they're kind, you know, they're kind of humdrum. And it turns out that it's the uh, the older gentleman's birthday, and you notice all of a sudden that that server sits down at the table, and all of a sudden the old elderly gentleman starts to smile and starts to laugh, and completely changes around their their dining experience. And later on, you go to that server and you say. I, I watched you completely change around uh, the experience. 
uh, for, for, for that person simply with your whatever you said and maybe your soft tone and your, your comforting XYZ, you're going to be a great nurse. So that follow up, you know, it, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> and, and that kind of follow up can be extra, extra uh, impactful. On that note, I do want to, you know, speaking of hidden talents, we've got uh, multiple people here. Uh, it looks like 21 in the room today right now. So think of all with just, with the just 21, what are all your talents? Uh, what are some of your greatest achievements and how to, how have you achieved? Um, what's a situation that you're struggling with and maybe you share it and, you know, offline you can share it with someone and have them help you because there's so many different things that can be done. Uh, so that'll give you an answer. I'm just going to read one, uh, of these results that happened. Now you asked Tom earlier, how do you start? Well, so I have here some of the sample actions and this is, you know, any manager, even if they're not great at, at you know, talking and starting conversations, it's ask someone for his or her perspective on a situation you're struggling with. Um, say to someone, if these are very simple, say to someone, what's one of your greatest achievements and how do you achieve it? which is something I just said. Say to someone, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most, how empowered have you felt today to use your best work talents? So these are just an example of about 40 different questions um, that people would ask. And I'll just read one here uh, at random. While acting on the engagement, somebody wrote, while acting on the engagement activity, a single question turned into a 10 minute conversation with uh, this person during a break in one of our leadership classes. Because of this, our company gained a partner with a local community college, and I'm in regular contact with the culinary program director about students that are interested in our opportunities. In fact, I was able to arrange culinary information sessions at the school. This is a recruiter, by the way, in which we brought in chefs from several, several different properties to discuss their career path and internships, employment opportunities. I was very thankful for the tools and guidance of this, that this engagement activity afforded me. And it gave me the confidence, here you go, Tom, it gave me the confidence to start a conversation that could truly lead to organizational change. And that's just a, something that happened over one, literally it just started with one conversation. Now that's, um, and, and there's a couple more, but I want to, I want to turn it back over uh, to you, lest I go too on and on with some of these great examples of how easy it can be. Well, and they are great examples. And as I'm listening to you, yeah, it's easy to have conversations and to actually engage, at least for me. But I know that there are managers who are going to be going, you're asking me A, to have conversations. You're asking me B, to be observant. And I've got way too much on my plate to, to even think about engaging like that. So I'm going to hire an IO to come in and, you know, maybe be my middle person. Uh, I mean, can my IO come in and have those conversations for me? Can they be the observant eyes? Can they report to me? Or is it really, no, sorry, um, an IO can help you through the process, but you really need as a leader to engage yourself differently. I'll, I'll answer this and I'll also, <laughs> also ask for other people. <laughs> uh, it, it depends on, a, you know, IOs are great at creating systems. So an IO can easily create a system with, with that has accountability. 
Um, so I, w- I would say, you know, the answer is uh, both. Really. It, d- it depends. It depends on the the, uh, the consulting relationship of that particular project or consultation. How far uh, to go? If they want to have more involvement, or if they want them to create. And, and if I'm a young IO, is this like can I walk into a company and go? <laughs> I can make your organization better and it's through doing a number of things and I'll draw you a roadmap, but you need to hire me to take your organization through these steps so that your employees are more engaged. They're more productive. Their loyalty is increased. You're going to build an incredible culture in your organization. And it all starts with a conversation, which either you need to have, or you need to hire me to start initiating this, this program. Some or, some other organizations, have, and Linda Ann, you can talk to this, um, I'm sure. Some organizations are very well set up already as it is to launch these kind of programs. I think a lot of it has to do uh, with the ability from the, uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of perspective and in terms of how do you keep an initiative from being checked the box and how do you have people that really have a passion for these kinds of things? Because anything can, you know, there's tons of workplace initiatives. That, that just become a check the box, but organizations are, are fully capable. But we're all, we're all we're all seeing um, uh, an uptick in organizations that are hiring I, IOs either externally because they're they're simply um, getting the fact that there is a clear delay between HR and IO, and IO we're looking at um, you know arguably um, more of the strategic more of the strategic lens of it. Linda or Tom. Well, I was going to say that, you know, I can see the major organizations and corporations, you know, if they're not moving in this trend already, they're behind the times. But, you know, you and I are going to be doing some work with a family business organization. And while some of them are going to be larger, many of them are medium and small sized organizations who could really benefit from this type of information and engaging their employees. But is it is there room for the IO in the family business, which maybe only has 10 employees? It's, it's huge for small businesses. When you look at the makeup of, in the U.S., when you look at the, the makeup of small businesses, my percentages are a little off. Um, small business, family businesses, you're looking at around 80 to 90% of all businesses. I mean, that's, it's, it's all of them, right? It's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a bit. And, and these, these are the organizations that, Part of it is to whatever you're really good at or whatever you get into, you just assume everyone knows all of it. And I realize more and more, you know, the more and more I look up, you know, how, how to fix something on, on my truck or how to train my dog about something, I'm looking to the experts for this. And I'm thinking, and I'm reading these things. I'm like, oh, that's really good. And then I realize, man, this is really basic. And I, and I, and I don't know it and I'm learning it. So sometimes as IOs, as HR professionals, as professionals in whatever we're doing, we really have to understand, we really have to start to realize that this isn't common knowledge per se, and we can be uh, extremely helpful in all these tools that we provide. And again, it's about meeting your, your client where they're at and providing these examples. I've, I've worked with organizations that have hired me and said, they said, we didn't know if we should just like have everyone read a leadership book or what we should do. And then, and it's, but, and then it's a reality check of how much of this is not known, but we just, 
you know, we just assume people know what we know. Um, so, so that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Linda Ann, you are chomp. I can tell. And there's that hand. Yes. Linda Ann, please comment. I, you know, it doesn't, I think it's, um, again, it's a little bit of, of my soapbox in, in that when somebody's a manager, they need to understand that they are, um, responsible for the success of the, the professional success of those people. It, doesn't take, it's not rocket science. If someone's having, you know, if a manager is having a difficult time or doesn't interact with their um, direct reports or the people that they work with and so forth, just ask them how their weekend was, right? Ask them, those are two things that I would walk around the company and say, you know, how was your weekend? Or, you know, do you have plans for the weekend? Right. And they'll tell you about their kids' birthday parties and they'll tell you what's going on or the the hobby that they have that might be that skill set that that's hidden, you know. So and then it breaks down that wall so that they feel comfortable speaking to you and saying in their performance review or that quarterly review or that, you know, come visit my office because we just need to check in. Um, they they feel like they have enough of a rapport with you to actually communicate what they want. So it's not, it doesn't take a lot of skill or training. You just have to be willing to speak to people and, and give a damn. Really, it's about giving a damn. Right. Uh, Amanda Ray, thank you very much for raising your hand. I'm going to come to you in a second, but I've, I've got a bit of a follow-up for you, Linda Ann, because especially in those small family businesses, isn't it even more vitally important to explore the hidden talents that people who may be your family members and who you, <laughs> you know, there's, there's never an expert in our backyard. We always think we've got to go to, you know, somewhere distant to find expertise. So isn't it even more important for family businesses to really sort of map where the hidden talents are in their family who are also employees? Yeah, I, that, wow, is that a, a loaded gun on that one? Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, because you always, you always think somebody else knows more than your kid or your husband or whatever. Um, but then again, you know, in those environments, there's so many people who are the jack of all trades. They're wearing four hats, you know, so um, until they get big enough where they need an expert in, in uh, you know, the wife doing the accounting. Uh, I don't know about that, <laughs> but, you know, so you really need somebody who's um, uh, skilled at, at that set. That's, that's a tough one. So it's, it's about the, the mutual respect. You know, when you come into this, are you going to um, bring all your family baggage in, which probably the answer is yes, or are you going to find a way to have some, some boundaries for some mutual respect? It's, it's a tough, that's a really hard nut to crack. Well, that's why I gave it to you. Uh, Amanda Ray, uh, Amanda puts in the comments that at our organization, we require that to be a leader's responsibility, we're working on creating an organization-wide initiative on employee coaching. Amanda Ray, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, uh, so the employee coaching is uh, in tangent or connected to my dissertation, but um, we're going to be creating an employee training 
an employee coaching training, um, it's known in as also employee coaching, managerial coaching, supervisory coaching, manager as a coach, leader as a coach, etc. It's at a very basic infancy. Um, but a huge pushback that we get from first level leaders all the way up to um, middle management and higher is the fear-based response in any form of coaching and not just for compliance area coaching, but also development coaching because there is a fear that this person is going to, if I develop them so well, they're going to take the role that I'm also going to want to go for in the future. Um, and then in a, from a compliancery perspective, there's a fear from the employee on retaliation. So fear is really embedded in the lack of response of wanting to take on that ownership and responsibility as a leader, not a manager, because we all know um, uh, individuals in those formal roles are responsible for both leadership and manager managerial skills. Um, but we are, that that's been the biggest thing that I've noticed is that there's such a embedded fear and there's an internal office that I'm working with that has been entrenched in this for a decade now. And we have finally have gotten the ears of the director <laughs> where it is they're going through an a comprehensive training and needs analysis where we're going to now be able to see where does the buck stop? Is it with something within uh, motivation? Is it something within employee engagement? And is it systematic? Is it individual? Is it the supervisor? Is it the leadership? But um, it's in helping people. I, I think the first thing that we need to just acknowledge and know and address the elephant in the room when we're trying to get leaders to listen to us as it relates to that is acknowledge the fear. If you can acknowledge the fear, everybody's human, everybody is here. And even maybe even personalize it that, hey, you have your own fear response in certain situations. And it could be even that, hey, I've got a fear of public speaking, but look, I'm speaking to you. So just to make it a little more lighthearted and humor always helps disarm folks. But um, it is, uh, I have found fear stops the buck. Um, and a lot of those conversations. Um, and just to kind of, not anecdotally, but I have heard a little bit of from our conversation of the Dunning-Kruger effect of not just do people think that those that are uneducated know better than the scientists or other people in the areas of expertise do, but as we get more educated, we also need to know that what we think we know, not everybody else knows. And I have, I get in trouble with trying to acknowledge that in my home because there's a huge education gap between my significant other and I. And he goes, I don't need to know that. I'm like, yes, but I just want to make sure that I'm not assuming you know that. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, there's uh, uh, starting with where the buck stops and that fear response can be such a huge liberating thing to get folks just to ease up and go, okay, so this is a part of my responsibility, but how do I help them get myself over this fear response to actually do it? A great point, Amanda Ray. And Jeremy, we've talked about the fear factor a lot. And as somebody who works as a public speaking coach, yeah, I confront it all the time. But Jeremy, there is this fear out there of not only dealing with sort of the unknown and how, you know, this is a new path for me as a, a manager or a leader, there is also that fear of I could train somebody or we could develop them to the point where they take my job or the job I really want. But even this fear factor is really sort of, it's not at the bottom of the organization. It's at the, you know, the top half, the people who are making these type of decisions. So 
what are some tactics to get past that fear? It's important to, to realize, you know, it's again, it's the paradox of, of leadership. In order to become powerful, you have to give power away. And it also goes back to the old, um, what a uh, uh, very smart CEO I know said or heard and then said, what happens if we train people? What happens if we put all these resources and training people and they leave? And the response is, what happens if you don't train them and they stay? It's the same kind of thing with what happens if you don't in terms of cross training, succession planning. What happens if we don't do success? <laughs> so um, also, it's important to, you know, visioning out is really good. Visioning out, helping, helping uh, you know, those managers who don't want to train because, oh, if I train them well, they're going to take my job. Well, if you train them well, you also can go on vacation and worry less because, you know, things are in good hands. You can also, when you're in a, in a time crunch, you know who you can count on. You're also going to create advocates for you. You're also going to develop trust. You're also going to do all these things that's going to take off so much pressure that they allow you to actually use your own talents and passions. And not to mention, sometimes you just feel good by, 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 by doing these things. Um, you know, fear is false evidence appearing real, oftentimes. That's what it is, fear. There's your acronym. So it's important also we look at what worrying is. Normally, when we daydream and when we vision, we vision out positive things. You know, if we look at positive psychology, we can look back to Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory uh, for the psych nuts out there, which includes myself. So when we vision out, we're in this kind of feedback loop of ruminating positive thoughts. But the same thing happens when we fear and when we worry. Worry is that, but it's just run amok and it's gone in the wrong direction. So there are different things when we're fearful. One thing I learned recently, there was a, uh, it was, it was a scientific behavioral study. The next time you're going into a situation that might be fearful, whether it be a job interview, this is, uh, I'm, not, uh, this is, I'm not kidding, uh, take your eyes and just look side to side. Don't move your head, just look side to side. And they did behavioral studies on this. It actually decreases fear when someone's going into a situation because we look at you know, the old fight or flight response and when you are afraid, you're usually looking either way, but it prepares your body to enter uh, into some kind of a situation. Um, so just an anecdotal thing there, but um, fear is real. And yes, it, it absolutely can be crippling, but it's also uh, uh, up to us to understand it's okay to feel that fear, but it's also okay to question what that fear is based on. Thank you for that. And I want to get to David's question in the chat, but before we do that, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I just wanted to, to follow up on um, what Jeremy was saying. You know, when I first started in management, someone taught me that when you're a good manager, people will outgrow you. That's the point, right? And instead of being fearful of, and, and fear is a hard thing to overcome. I, I totally understand that. but when that person does outgrow you, when they do move on, then the next talented person is going to want to work with you because they see how you develop people. And in addition, those really talented people who have the opportunity to move on, while they are with you, they're going to lift you up and make you look more successful and, and so forth. So there's two ways to look at it. Yeah, there's always the possibility that somebody could take your job, but what if they're lifting you up for your next job? Yeah, and as Amanda Ray puts in, in the comments, 
this can actually benefit you and your organization if you develop a reputation for recruiting and developing great people. Um, all right, um, Jeremy, this is directed towards you. It's David's question uh, in the chat. What if an internal IO sees the opportunity to engage in what Jeremy is recommending, but the C-suite is reluctant to embrace such practices? What recommendations would you have in getting this type of work off the ground? Well, Tom, as a critical conversations and negotiation coach, I would say work with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and I'll get you there. Uh, some practical, some practical tips are: um, uh, think first. Think of each person. You know, let's just say you're dealing with you're you're working on a single person right now. Find out whether that person is where do they where where do they build their influence? Do they build it through people, or do they build it from history, data, and results and tasks? And if you're not and again, this isn't a high stakes situation, so I can recommend some of the uh, lighter psych assessments where you can, you know, get really good at one and you can figure out if someone's, you know, you, you know how you can figure out if someone's more extroverted, introverted, if you can figure out if they're more, um, you know, enthusiastic or more on the conscientious side. Uh, so again, low stakes situation. Um, if you need help, talk talk to someone who, you know, talk to an IO and they'll help you get a beat on someone. But the bottom line is find out how they're influenced. If they're influenced because you say, hey, you know, Tom, Susie, Juan, everyone else is on board, then that's what you need to do. If they're more influenced by this is what happened, this is what happened in the past, here's what I can show you, here's where the results and expectations are, then that's how you do it, right? You have to speak their language. The other thing is figure out what they have to gain and lose. So not just the what's in it for them, but what happens if they don't take on any, a, a particular kind of initiative what's the uh and then and then also vision out you know vision is really when we when you vision out uh, people are resistant to change because they are in a state of um complacency uh at, at a time and the only way to break that complacency is to show them a future better than the one they're headed for and that will create dissatisfaction with the current state that they're in, the current future that they're living in, and cause motivation to change. So if you can properly vision out and, and, and help uh, and, and vision out, and this goes down to messaging, where could the company be if, the, if, if, this, if this were to happen? Envision out, you know, here are the results. This is what it would look like on a day-to-day. -day. And you can even do that for single managers. You know, hey, imagine coming to work and the first thing that you and you 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 get to your desk and you have 30 minutes and nobody comes and complains imagine that <laughs> you know wow okay now you have my ears so there's different things you can do the other thing too is um and we've talked about this a lot tom get the negative out of the way if you're going to approach someone say you're going to think that i just thought of this idea and didn't vet it for hours and hours you're going to think that i didn't take the business objectives and goals into this uh, the thought when developing my plan for this initiative. You're going to think that I haven't been here long enough. You're going to think that I haven't, I didn't, I didn't keep in mind what you wanted and then just go right into it. So get all the negative things, whatever that person is going to think out of their, out of their head. That way they're not thinking it while you're trying to, to pursue your message. So there, there's a, a couple, you know, quick tips and ask, ask questions when in doubt, just ask a question because then it puts then it puts whatever the problem is onto the other person. Say the word what and then follow it with some words. Say the word how, follow it with some words, make a question out of it. It buys you time 
and it also gives you insight and it lets the other person have you know do control so many great things that that can do and, and there's some great conversations happening in the chat so uh everyone should keep an eye on those and and thanks for sort of everybody who is part of that conversation and are replying to other people's questions uh keith raised a really good point because he's lucky enough to work in an organization where these conversations are actually happening but when you know if you're an outsider coming into an organization like this for the first time it can be a little intimidating especially if you haven't come from that environment because people are talking they're expressing their emotions they're giving up information about their personal lives how do you onboard a new employee into this environment i've stumped you haven't i <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I'm going to guess that was to me. How do you onboard someone into, into that uh, particular environment? Uh, right up right up front, whatever they're on, the onboarding process is, start to include them in those particular conversations and have those managers around. Maybe you're, maybe, uh, you know, however this is done. So let me go back up to that particular comment. So um, Keith is saying they... Uh, oh, well, for... The department, right? Yeah, and and um, do, 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 do. our department does a pretty good job about having these types of conversations. Coming from a different organization, it was difficult and scary. Opening up and being authentic can be difficult. Like I can imagine for some people, it's Monday, it's their first day of work, and someone says to them, so what did you and the wife do on the weekend? And their response is, why are you asking me about my personal life? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you just want to put a suit of armor on right? and, and, and crunch down. Uh, yeah, it can be. And, you know, it, it, he says it was, diff you know, it was different and scary. And there's a lot of times there's no way around it, but it becomes you learn the social norms and the norms of that particular organization. When it comes down to being authentic and having an opening up, uh, which is what he says, opening up and being authentic can be difficult. It can be. And I'm guessing, and Keith, feel free to respond in the chat or, or uh, unmute your mic. I'm guessing it became easier because a lot of times, whenever I'm coaching someone on these difficult on the difficult conversations and different things that they can do, I often get feedback where they say, "You know, my my employee said to me, you're acting a little weird.'" And uh, in, in the response, or or, my, or I've heard my wife said, "Why are you being nice? Or why are you listening to what I'm saying?" And the response is always, look, I'm doing a couple things to become a better listener, right? Or to be better for you. And then they'll, and then it's usually like, oh, well, and you simply say, uh, is it helping? Yeah. Do you want me to continue? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the next time you do it, it's still a little weird. And the third time you do it, it's just who you are. It's just like a salary increase. After two weeks, it's not a salary increase. It's your wage. It's what you get. You know, these things wear off and you get a little more comfortable. I can tell you, here, here's, a, here's a, if you have a, if you have a boss or an employer or anyone, especially, you know, sometimes you have to have these tough conversations with our boss. If you have a tough conversation with your boss, boss once, I'm willing to bet in, in, a, in a very constructive way. My, my, I'm willing to bet that it becomes easier and easier and easier and you start to have a better relationship. So for those of you, because they, they'll respect that. So for those of you out there, which is 
I don't know what 90 the amount of small businesses in the US about 90% of of people out there have something that they've been putting off to talk their boss about it's okay uh take the first step and it's so much easier the second time and it can really improve the this environment that that you're walking into every well as you're talking I'm thinking you know I can imagine an organization where maybe it's a little dysfunctional and all of a sudden a manager starts having these conversations and the employees are going what is going on like he wasn't like this a week ago and now he actually wants to know about my life and my and i can see that actually building excitement in an organization but bringing a little bit of mystery to that person who's asking the questions but isn't that a really actually positive environment to start to develop your employees in a little bit of mystery about what's going on we don't know but it sure feels good perfect run into i want to read uh, another of these um results calm testimonial it's it's, it's a write-up by an employee um prompted okay and I'm, I'm starting here quote prompted by the engagement activity i asked the question what was your greatest achievement and how do you achieve it her natural first response was having my kids. I said, that's awesome. Are there any other accomplishment goal-wise that you achieved? Her response was, I was just approached by someone in regards to a job opportunity. However, I don't think I'm going to apply for it because I believe that I'm not qualified for it. I asked her, again, you know, questions, right? I asked her, well, what does that job entail? She responded, a desk receptionist job. I've never worked with computers before. And then I proceeded to tell her, listen, you have a natural talent when it comes to interacting and building relationships with people. That's something that's very hard to learn. You can be taught how to work on a computer. The next day, she ran up to me, thanked me for taking the time for having this meaningful conversation. The end result, she applied and she got the job. This was someone who, who had worked in food service. And all the manager did was say, what's your greatest achievement and how did you achieve it? Conversation took 10 minutes and it ended up, and, and this was a uh, in, in, in within the company move. Um, so he didn't push her out to, <laughs> to another company. Uh, but she applied and got the job. And all it took was that one, one, one sentence. That was it. And that's a great success story. But, you know, Hannah raises a great issue. What if your manager population only sees coaching as a corrective purpose and not for career development? And that's something, <laughs> as consultants and coaches, we face this all the time. So how do we bridge that gap with those people who are making decisions that this is not about the problems in your organization? This is not about resolving the issues with the bad kid in the family. This is about improving the situation. As you've often said, be the best advocate for your employee's success. So how do we flip that mindset and get those managers to see coaching as something that can help not only the employees, but the organization, and that it's more than just corrective measures? The example just comes to mind, you know, football teams, right? They're, they're, every practice, they're being coached so that they can get better at winning. I mean, that's all I got, Tom. <laughs> it's, it's, I, mean, I think it's that easy. 
Um, Linda Ann, do you agree that it's that easy, or do you think there are some other tactics we should be using? I think that, you know, I understand where that comes from, and, and I've seen that happen. And I think that one way to address it is just to have different terminology that you're using. It doesn't have to, you don't have to keep the same terminology for both pieces if you don't want to, right? People are going to um, assign terminology to whatever they want, you know? So I would say create some differentiating terminology so that people can learn to embrace the good part of the coaching, whatever you want to call it, and see it as a positive um, and, and see if it, you can move on from there. I'm sure that Jeremy has a, a different take on that, but I, I would just say, you know, introduce it as calling it something else so that you can at least move forward with the process and then it'll take on a life of its own. Well, let me throw this out to both you and Jeremy then, because how much when we're having those discussions, should we focus on the corporate bottom line? I hate to bring that into the conversation at times, but because it should be more than just about the money. But wow, when it's taught, when you're talking to leaders, sometimes this will benefit your bottom line is the number one thing they need to hear. Jeremy? In terms of development and coaching? Yeah, basically, you know, if, if I'm a manager, I use coaching when I have an issue, when I've got a problem child. I bring the coaches in make sure the entire organization does not do the wrong thing. But I don't see coaching as something that's actually going to benefit me or my organization outside of fixing the problem areas. So how do I convince them that no, 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 this is actually going to make you more profitable? Or is that the number one concern that you often hear? Or, or is that even a great tactic, FBI negotiation, uh, <laughs> to bring forward? that here is a solution in these times of economic uncertainty to increase your bottom line. It's by actually improving your employees by using training and coaching to strengthen the organization. Quick comment, and then I want to go to Amanda because maybe she's got my answer. Sure. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just because of the, uh, the perspective that I have, but you know, I've, I've coached, I've coached people before that were up against union complaints and one more and you're terminated and you're a, you know, you're late, your legacy type employee and I've coached them and, and helped them to keep their job. So I understand where you're coming from in terms of, uh, more of a, on a disciplinary, um, you know, development plan kind of thing. But the, most of the coaching that I see is really for development purposes. Um, you know, if you have, um, I don't know if you have, uh, you know, you're a, a super high end restaurant, you have to, you have to coach and you have to train your, your people to learn how to, you know, you have exact place settings, you have exact things to say, you have exact ways to hold the wine bottle, the exact way to pour it. I mean, that, that's, that's what coaching is on that level. But think about supervisors too, you know, whatever analogy you want to come up with, they still have to pour the wine of, talent and this is gonna be really bad pour the talent talent wine right for their employees they have to hold their reputation cup a certain way it's the same thing it's the same as developing your employees so that they're whatever that they're doing continues to be in line with the business objectives and goals of the company and you know it's again i'll say you, it, it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that you fooled them so we can't convince people 
All we can do is ask good questions and allow them to see a future better than the one they're headed for with our intervention. And I'll let you take it over. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll go to Amanda Ray next and then back over to you, Linda Ann. What I frequently do to get managers buy-in when they push back on something like that is I ask them to quantify it. So I ask them to do an, a time analysis of how much time in a week or in a month do you spend with your direct reports in order to do this? And I have found that, and I'm like, okay, now let's quantify that as in money, hours. How much time does the organization spend on you to do corrective action? And then I'm like, okay, now let's say we decrease that by 50% and you have another 20 hours of your time back in a month. What would you do with those 20 hours? And then they start going, oh, I'd get to this pet project of mine. I do this. There you're getting the buy-in because then they start to get excited about this time that they're going to gain back. They get to start seeing the quantification of the actual amount that of money that's being spent on corrective action. And then I'm like, okay, to then move it to engagement coaching or development coaching, whatever the heck you want to call it. There's so many different terms. Nobody can agree on it. But in using it from a development perspective, it's like it's going to be a little bit harder from the beginning because you need to invest more time up front to get the dividends in the back end. So you're going to probably invest a little bit more time, but then you're going to see that amount of time that you have spent is going to start to drastically within probably a quarter to two quarters. So if it's three to six months, you're going to see the amount of time that you're spending on a corrective action declining. Now that is not saying that you're not going to not spend time on corrective action grievances where there needs to be corrective action. Because if you're dealing with labor relations and I'm in government, so we're dealing with uh, contract grievances. Um, and when you're dealing with like five to seven different unions, it's entirely different. Been in government for 20 years. So <laughs> coaching is used in a much different standpoint, but the paradigm is changing in the organization in which I'm in, which is awesome. But getting them to quantify and then get excited for what, hey, in six months, I get to start this project I've been putting off for two years. That kind of just at least gets their ball rolling. Great comment, Amanda Ray, and you're speaking my language there. I love that. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go over to you. Here you go. Quantitatively, basically what data shows is 80% of employees are not engaged. Engaged employees are 20% more profitable, right? And if you, I mean, I remember one of Jeremy's um, examples about a waitress who um, they just asked them, you know, how's the weather today or something? They asked their clients and, and their tips went up enormously. You know, there was a couple of statements and it's an engaged process. The difference between the, the definition of an engaged employee is one who will use discretionary time to complete the, their task, their goal or whatever to meet the goal. And that's, you know, instead of on Friday, you know, when you get that 459 phone call and somebody, the one employee says, well, you know, I don't have the answer for you. Um, I'll, I'll get, you'll have to talk to so-and-so on Monday. The other employee who's engaged was said, let me, hold on a second. Let me go take care of this for you right? Big difference. And, um, you know, it's, 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 there's a, so much data out there that it's, it's, and the, my question to people is, okay, so what would your company look like if, you know, your employees were 20% more profitable? I, I think that, 
all right, if I'm a young IO, I'm going to, and I've got an interview for a job, I'm going to book a session with Jeremy to get some of these advice. And I'm going to use those statistics that, you know, Linda Ann has brought forward and all that information that Amanda Ray posted as well. Uh, Jeremy, we're down to about four minutes left. And I do have one more question for you. But before we get to that, you want to do a little plug for CBOC and the organization? I do. I'm going to do that at the end because I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to look to see what our topic is for next week. Give me a All right. Um, so if you're busy, maybe I'll go back to Linda Ann for this and then we'll come back to you, Jeremy. Uh, Linda Ann, if you don't mind, there's been a lot of really great conversation in the chat about the effects of modeling that, you know, IOs themselves, but even when they're working with those managers, you know, guiding them to some of these changes, how important is it for them to model those changes? I think it's critical. You have to walk the walk, right? Or the walk the talk. Um, absolutely. And a lot of times people don't really know if you tell them something, they don't know what it looks like in real life. And so I think that it, it's absolutely a critical piece. Um, and if you don't do it, you undermine your own credibility. Really good point. Uh, Jeremy, any thoughts on modeling? What Linda Ann said, I was distracted looking at what I was, but I heard what Linda Ann said. And Lin <laughs> Way to go, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I see we're down to less than two minutes. Uh, great conversation today, everybody. Uh, thank you very much, Jeremy and Linda and Amanda Ray for coming up on stage. Thank you to people like Amanda once again and Keith and Hannah and everybody else who's been keeping that chat so active. Uh, great conversation over there as well today. Uh, we do this every single week. And Jeremy, um, you've got some time. Let's go with you. I do. So next week we're doing, uh, is the resume still worth something? How to get the right person for the job. So that is our topic for next week. So please be, uh, please, please do join us. Um, also, feel free to go over to cbock.com. If you're an IO, sign up. There's a waiting list. Um, to be a, an IO member. We have some great things coming there. And if you're interested in working with an IO, also go to cbock.com. I'm going to end with one more example about how this whole talent spatula thing works and can happen with just a single question that is asked. So this is a, uh, this is um, someone, someone in, a, in a finance department used uh, one of the questions asked about what are some of your passions and goals? Really, that was it. And how she could turn those passions into her work. And here I'm quoting, we have had troubles with this employee for different reasons. So I originally thought this was going to be a short and tough conversation. To my surprise, we had about a 25 minute talk and found out that her old job was very challenging and forced her to do a lot of new things. Her current job is quite repetitive and she misses that unique challenge, which is why we have problems with her. She's been unmotivated. Luckily, I was able to work with her to find some new projects for her to lead and construct. In the end, she reduced the amount of time that her and her teammates spend on certain tasks and found a way to make a solo person process become a team person process. This employee had a meeting with different property teams to present her new process. The various properties instantly loved it and wanted to immediately adopt it into their own work, stating how efficient, organized, and logical the upgrade was from the old process. Her and her direct supervisor were very happy and I'm very proud of the work 
and effort that she put into something that she found passion in and it turned out well for everyone. And again, just another example. And all that was somebody went up to, to some one of their employees and, and said, hey, let's, you know, what, what are you passionate about? Very simple. And it turned into all of that. So we'll end it with that. Tom, thank you. This has been fantastic. Love everybody. Great way to end the conversation, Jeremy. Uh, we are at the top of the hour, so we're going to wrap it up. I'm Tom, the speech guy. It has been great talking to you. Jeremy, why don't you count us out of here? Five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs>